hey, this is Pastor Brad of One Love Church, and I just wanted to real quickly thank you for stopping by the podcast. If you'd like to find out more about One Love Church, it's pretty easy to do. Just look us up online at onelovechurch.org. And even better than that, I personally invite you to come and join us this Sunday at One Love. We have two worship times at 10 and at 11.30, both times the exact same, full of children's ministries and a nursery. We invite you to join us this Sunday at One Love Church. Now, I read something a little scary this morning. I actually read that they're remaking Charlie Brown for next Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, I'm worried about it. I'm worried about it. But this guy holds his characteristic, and I just want to show you three little clips of some cartoons that I found online. Here's the first one. I thought being in love was supposed to make you happy, Charlie says. Linus says, well, where did you get that idea? How many of you have ever felt that way? It's okay. You can be honest this morning. Me and you. Come on. Here's the second one. That's the secret of life. Replace one worry with another. Anybody? Any worry warts out there? Here's the last one. This is my favorite. I'm just going to let you read it. How true is that? So some of you, it's not good enough. It's not good enough to be depressed unless we do that. Right? Unless we show everybody. Hey, the truth is... One of our crazy Christmas family members that we're going to talk about today is the pessimist. And you may or may not know about the pessimist, but here are a few characteristics. Here's how you define pessimism. Pessimism is a tendency to see the worst aspect of things or believe that the worst will happen. Anybody relate with that this morning? Jack, Jack's hand went up real quick. Jack's like, I believe it, but I'm not sure that's right. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a lack of hope or confidence in the future. A lack of hope or confidence in the future. A pessimist and an optimist are so completely different. And, and here's the truth. You may or may not be honest with yourself about which one of those categories that you fit in. And there may be some of you in the room this morning or a little bit of both. In some situations, you're an optimist. In other situations, you're a pessimist. But here's the thing that I'm afraid for all of us that cannot happen to us or any of our crazy Christmas family members come holiday season. And that is the last part of that definition. When you begin to lack hope or confidence in what God can do in your life. Because it's at that moment that we as disciples of Jesus Christ become the exact opposite of what God has created us to be. When we lack hope in what God can do in our lives and become so pessimistic about certain situations in our lives, then what happens is those who have become a part or travel with us in our life experiences all of a sudden feel the exact same way that we do in those certain situations. Does that make sense? So here's what we're going to look at today. How a pessimistic person can hold on to optimism. And that's going to be difficult for some of us, but we're going to get there together. I am the opposite of a pessimist. I'm somewhat an optimist. And what I mean by that is I see rainbows and butterflies where a lot of people see thunderstorms and lightning, right? 
It, what happens with the optimist is we're so far the other way that people just think we're loony, right? Any, any other loony people out there this morning? Okay, I'm not alone. Josh is definitely loony, all right? Here's what happens with an optimist. You can throw a train at them, and you will knock them down momentarily, but before you know it, they will stand up and start thinking of themselves ways that they can use that train for good, right? I, I heard somebody came up to me after church this morning. Dustin came up to me after church this morning. He said, the difference between a pessimist and an optimist is that when a pessimist sees a pile of pony poop, they just walk out of the room. When an optimist sees a pile of pony poop, they start shoveling because there's got to be a pony in there somewhere, <laughs> right? That's very true. And I'm that guy that would be shoveling because there's got to be a pony in there somewhere. Scripturally speaking, we're going to look at an author this morning who writes in a way in the first part of the scripture that a lot of us are going to relate to. A lot of us are going to feel a lot like Charlie Brown in this moment because you may have been through things in your life that have been difficult for you. And here's what tends to happen that we got to be aware of. Difficulties create in you part of your being. And what I mean by that is, listen, if I have been abused in the past, and by abuse I'm using that very broadly, I've been fired, I've been made fun of, I've been persecuted, in some way I was treated unfairly in the past. It becomes a part of my character in that moment so that as I grow forward, whenever I approach a situation like that in the future, guess what it makes me feel like? That guy. You with me? It happens to us all. It can happen in our marriages, in our relationships. It happens with our children. Uh, uh, you know, it, it can happen in your jobs. It can happen in your churches. It can happen in so many different ways that whenever you're around a situation that caused me pain in the past, I automatically revert to that guy back there who felt that pain. And so what happens? I become instantly pessimistic about that situation. Here's the best example I can share with you. I've been a pastor now for almost 20 years, right? I'm only 38, so that's most of my life I have been a pastor. Before I was a pastor, I was raised by a pastor, which means I've lived all my life in the church, either a pastor's son or as a pastor. And here's what happens. All that happens in the life of the church happens to the family, right? We think it just happens to the pastor, but it happens to the family. When my dad stood in a council meeting, I'll never forget this, and a man stood up and was nose to nose with my father. And because my dad did not want to do what that man wanted in the church, he said, when we step outside, I'm going to knock your teeth into the back of your head. This is the truth. This is a man on the council. Follow me. Follow me. My dad came home, and guess who he told? His lover, right? My mom. Now, guess who was in the room? Yeah. Yeah. So now, guess who can't stand that guy? <laughs> Me. Yep. How dare you? I'll put a firecracker in your muffler so fast, right? <laughs> I'm thinking, look, you can forgive. I'll put my thumb in your eye. We'll figure this out. We will figure this out. All of the pain and the hurt and the agony 
that happened to my father or that has happened to me in ministry or that has happened to my friends in ministry, they become a part of my character and my buildup. And so when I talk about the ministry to someone entering the ministry, guess what I tell them about? All the good stuff? No. So Josh came to me one day and he said, Brad, I think God has called me into the ministry. And I went, dude. <laughs> you know, Josh, you, look, you're never going to get paid enough, right? You, you, you're never going to get the vacation that you want. And then when you do get it, everybody yells at you when you get back because you went on vacation, even though they were just on vacation because they can have vacation, but you can't have vacation, right? And, and your kids are going to grow up in it, man. Uh, and, 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 you know, nobody cares about what you're going through. They just want you to care about what they're going through, right? And all this stuff, dude, is going to pile on you, and you better be ready, and Aaron better be ready, and Cadence better be ready. And Josh, the eternal optimist, went, we're ready. <laughs> but here's the truth. And guys, you may know this or not. I love being a pastor. I love it. I am one of those rare people that have found what God has created them to do. And so when I do it, I am giddy. I'm not even lying to you. There are times when I leave you in a horrible situation and we've been counseling and I get in the car and you're at home probably crying and weeping because you're devastated. I get in the car and I go, yeah. Right? Because in my mind, spiritually, in those moments, I am being used to do what God has created me to do. And for a lot of you, and for me at a certain point in my life, I was searching for that. And so I was unhappy and miserable and desperate and taking any job I could. And when I finally found what God created me to do, I hit a home run, and now I'm here. Right? So here's what happens. A young man comes into my life ready to be mentored, and to move into the ministry. And the first thing I do, this happy guy, Giddy, and love being a pastor, went, dude, don't do it. Don't do it. But we all do that. We all have moments in our lives like that. We all relate to scriptures like this. Look at Lamentations chapter 3, starting verse 16. It says, he ground my face into the gravel. He pounded me into the mud. I gave up on life altogether. I have forgotten what the good life is. I said to myself, this is it. I'm finished. God is a lost cause. Ever feel that way? Good morning and Merry Christmas. (laughs) Ever feel that way? Ever feel like your face got shoved into the mud, and for some reason, it just feels like tomorrow is going to happen again. You, you become pessimistic about where God has placed you in life. And, and every night, when you lay your head in bed, you pray. Now, you, you may not be physically praying, but Scripture tells us that in the moments when all you can do is mumble, the Holy Spirit's going to intercede for you. And so you're praying and you're screaming to God from your soul from what you truly feel. 
And what you're saying is, I'm done. I'm done. I can't take anymore. I don't want to experience it anymore. And what I can't figure out is where you are. Look what he says next, verse 19. I will never forget the trouble. The utter lostness, the poison that I've swallowed, I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. Anybody? Here's where pessimism takes over and optimism loses hope. It's when all I remember is the hurt. It's when all I focus on is the hurt. It's when I can't get the taste of the mud out of my mouth. And so it's all I reflect on. What they have done to me, what life has done to me, and what God has allowed to happen in my life. I reflect on it. It's created new every day in my mind. And so from the moment I wake up, guess what I'm looking out for? The bad. It's going to happen. It's bound to happen. I can still taste it. I can still feel it. And I remember it. And I reflect on it. So it will not get me again. And guess what happens? gets me again. You know why? It's all I see. It's all I think about. I'm putting it into existence before it ever comes. I'm allowing it to take shape in my memory, in my emotion, and spiritually. Because there's a part of me deep down inside who already believes it exists anyway. You ever been there? So then he says this. But there's one thing to remember. One thing I keep remembering. One other thing other than that garbage that I've got to implant in my mind. And here it is. There's one thing remembering, keeping a grip on hope. And it is this, verse 22. God's loyal Love could not have run out. His merciful love could not have dried up. They're created new every morning. How great your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God and I will say it over and over because he's all I got left. There's a few things that we've got to pull from that, right? Here's the first one. God's love never runs out. God's love never runs out. Now, as a pessimist, we kind of expect it to, or we think that maybe that's the reason why things happen to us the way that they do, because we think in our minds, we play this spiritual game with God, and we think that there's got to be something that we do or some point that we can get to where God's love will stop on us, where God's love will quit on us, because other things have quit on us So God's love's got to quit too. But what we learn in scripture is that God's 
love never runs out. We need to circle, underline, and highlight that. Bold typeface it in our mind so that we don't forget it. Do a hyperlink so when you push it, you know what it's saying. That was a good one. Come on. <laughs> hyperlink, really? I know you weren't going there. I went there. Josh, write that down. Number two, God's love and mercy are created new every morning. Not your desperation, not your isolation, not your difficulties, not your past experiences. God's mercy is created new every morning. That means when you wake up first thing in the morning, God does not call you by what you think you should be called. God does not call you by the experiences that you've been placed in. God does not call you by what man calls you, but God calls you by who he created you to be. So every morning when you wake up, his mercy lays upon you, and those things that you allow to drag you down have been released from you, and you stand in that very morning with your teeth unbrushed and bedhead out to the side as a beautiful disciple of Jesus Christ created by God and God's love and his mercy are fresh on your being. So why do we keep dragging all the crap with us? Because we're pessimistic. We're born that way, created that way, with a sinful nature, expecting the worst. And God says, demand the best. Here's the third thing. He says at the end, in verse 24, he says, I'm going to stick with God and I'm going to say it over and over. Here's why. If you stick with God, the realization is that God sticks with you. Why does he say, and I say it over and over again? What's the importance of saying it over and over again? Do you know what he's saying is? I know God told me, and I know God wrote it, but today I claim it. That's why I say it over and over again. You can try to defeat me, world. You can try to defeat me, man. But I am cheered for and pushed onward by God. And God created you, and God can take you out of existence. That's the truth. Because my God told me that there is nothing that stands in front of me that can block my path to where he's created me to go. Do you know what that means? Your name's for me. Your sin in my life your frustrations you lay upon me, the abuse that I have taken from you, the hate that you continue to pour in my life because you think you should get what God has given to me, all of that wrapped up in a big old bubble, you can keep to yourself because today I know that God's love will never leave me, his mercy will be new in the morning, and most of all, he sticks with me through all of me being who I am. And some of y'all won't even do that. You with me? Here's how he ends. I love this. Verse 25. God proves to be good to the man who patiently waits. To the woman who diligently Seeks, And it is a good thing 
to quietly hope. Quietly hope for help from God. Church, will you stay with me? Listen, we all find ourselves in situations like we read in the first part of that story, right? And for some of us, it feels like that road that God has us down has all these curves and pit holes. You know, I flew into Albania one time uh, with a basketball team, and we're flying into the only airport that they had in this city. And as we're flying above it, our coach says, whatever you do, don't look at the runway. So, of course, everybody on the basketball team looks at the runway. And what do we see? I kid you not, potholes all over it, right? Like bombs had been dropped right before we were to land. Freaked out, sure we were going to die, heading on in. Most of us see our lives as that little scared boy in that plane waiting to land, and all we see are the potholes. And we say to ourselves, we're going to die. There's no way out of this. I cannot get through this without hitting potholes. Now, here's the crazy part. Somehow, God gave us the best pilot on the earth. And that little, you know, the planes that have the, they're scary anyway, right? And I'm fat, so this is not good. Here's what happens. We land that plane, didn't feel one pothole. And I said to myself, how is that even possible? In most of our lives, we get through these things, these situations, and we look back and we realize that what seemed to us as a life full of potholes really were all of these opportunities for God to create in us who we are today. And to know that, look, I don't know what's coming forward. I don't know what's in my future because the truth is the Bible tells me not to worry about that, but to live in my moment. So here in my moment, I can look back and see Every single time God brought me through things that you and other people and people in my past and people in my crazy Christmas family didn't think I'd ever make it through. My wife and I were wed as teenagers with a baby. And family members at our wedding said we wouldn't last a year. Fifteen years this year. Amen? Here's the best part. She's already tired of me, and she's stuck with me. <laughs> but here's the truth. God's going to do for you not just good things, not just great things, but Scripture tells us abundantly more than what you can even expect from him. And so I tell you now, as a 38-year-old man with a long life ahead of me, that I've been drugged through some crap in my life already. But I stand here today fully reliant on the promise that God is for me and is pushing me and is pushing you to be exactly what he has created you to be. So much so that the moment you accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you know what the Bible says the angels did? Somebody? Partied. Partied for you partied there may have been dancing there but the truth is guys 
you're so important. You're so important that it happened for you because of day one of where God wants you to be. Where do you think heaven's going for you? Where do you think life is heading for you? I'll tell you this. Be optimistic about it because it's going to be good. It may look like donkey-doo pile now, but it's going to be good. So here's what I want to do. We did it this morning. We're going to ask you to step out of your comfort zone as a church this morning, and we're going to ask you to squeeze together and to hold hands with someone who's around you. Guys, if you're too manly to hold hands with each other, do a shoulder hug. Whatever you got to do, we're going to embrace those who are around us this morning. And let me tell you why. Here it is. You ready for this? Because a pessimistic person believes they walk through life alone. You think when you suffer, you suffer alone. No one knows how you feel. No one can feel your pain. No one else has been through what you've been through. And you may be right there, but I can promise you this. You do not do it alone. And what I want you to do is to look around this morning and to understand that even in our first service this morning, there was a group just your size who did this exact same exercise. And if they were here with us this this afternoon, they'd be right here in this pile right along with us to tell you this. When you suffer, we suffer. You are not alone. When you grieve, we grieve. And when you love, we love. When you celebrate, we celebrate. Because you are a part of me, whether you like it or not. I'm most likely your crazy Christmas member. Or Josh. But I promise you this. I am a member. I am with you. You are not alone. I pray nightly for all of you, and I feel you praying for me. I know you do. And if you're not, get on it, because I need it. (laughs) So let's pray together this morning. I'm going to ask you to do this. Listen, you want to do it out loud, that's up to you. You want to do it quietly, I'm good with that too. But I'm just going to ask you to pray for everyone who is connected to you right now. Every hand that you're holding, someone in front of you or behind you or around you, if you know their name, pray for them. If you don't, pray for their face. I know you can see it in your mind, and God knows who you're talking about. And then I'm going to close with this all. But this is what you're going to pray. You're going to pray that as a church, this family moving forward will be optimistic about where you individually are heading in life. Mason, God's doing something big with you, and I'm praying for it because he's my brother. You with me? And the truth is, I just found out that he loves El Toro cheese as much as I do. (laughs) Right? Hey, good man. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we pray right now in this moment, God, for everyone that we are connected to. Physically right now, Father, but even more importantly, emotionally and spiritually. For those that you have allowed to come into our lives to be a part of this family, this spiritual family. For my brothers and sisters in Christ that are in this room, Father, whether they be newborn or 100 years old, Father, no matter who they are in this building, that, God, you have given them to me in my life. And so, Father, I pray for this responsibility. I pray, Father, that they will never think that they walk alone, that they will never believe that I am not there for them. That, Father, in this room, this love that you have created for us spreads in a mighty way so that no matter what trial they walk through, they know that I walk through it with them. And, Father, when I am in hurt that they are in hurt with me, and that, God, when they rejoice, Father, we all rejoice because you have made it so. Father, it is all for your glory and your benefit that, God, one day people may come to us and say, what are you crazy people doing? And we can say we serve an outrageously crazy God with a crazy love and some crazy mercy and some crazy hope that never fails, that is new every morning and because of who you are Father we love you may our love for each other be received as an offering to you for your glory we praise you in Jesus name we pray Amen let's worship together